everybody doing? Grab your Bible, turn to James 3. Um, I want to start with, uh, with kind of two things, one of confession and one kind of a prayer. Uh, the first confession would be this, is that uh, my heart wrestles to believe the truth of this text. And you're like, oh crap, you're really going to teach it then? Yeah, so that's kind of the, the quandary I'm in. Um, because here's the truth. Um, so if you've been around church for very long, or you, I mean, even in culture or whatever, we, we use this illustration of like the ship and the rudder and how just this small little deal really projects this big thing. Um, and I just really struggle to believe that's true. Like I think it is, but in my heart and in my life, I really struggle to believe um, and see the impact that um, just a word can have. Um, my wife uh, had the privilege of, of photograph- or photographing a wedding yesterday, and one of the questions that she asked the, the bride and groom was, how can I pray for you leading up to your wedding? And she got the most bizarre response ever. This isn't like the typical response you would, you would get, but their response was, pray that we would feel the weight of what we're doing and the decision we're making. Like, who prays to feel the weight of something, right? I pray that I would just feel like this is for life, and it's going to be hard, and ah, we're getting married. Like, wow, that tells you a little bit about the kind of people they are. Um, so that's kind of my prayer going into today, is that we'd feel the weight. Because I want to I wanna try to draw out... There's a lot of images in this text, but I want to draw out four images and try to dance around them a little bit and figure out, like, why is it and how is it that, that simple words have such an impact? Uh, simple words have such an impact. So can I just pray that God would teach us that? Um, Father, uh, we need your help to believe and to see that your truth and that you're God and that you've, you're calling us into relationship with you where joy is found and in a life where words have an impact and our words matter. And so, God, I pray that you would do in my heart what I can't do in my heart um, and that you would teach us the weight of our words today. Um, so, God, come. I need you uh, to teach a text that warns against becoming a teacher. I need you. Um, would your spirit teach us? We love you. Uh, engage our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. So James, the book of James, really here's what I want you to see. The heartbeat of the book of James and the heartbeat of this text is that, that your tongue reveals your faith. And for all of us, I don't care who you are, whether you're new to the journey of faith, don't believe in the journey of faith, well, you're here, so maybe there's something, some type of interest in faith. Um, no matter where you are, that's true. I don't care if you've gone to church all your life, your tongue reveals your faith, and a lot of times it reveals that we doubt a lot, right? A lot of times it reveals that, that we lack um, the ability and the understanding to trust God. Um, so, the reason why I love the book of James is because really it's the wisdom literature of the New Testament. Just full of wisdom and wise sayings for how life works and how life functions. Um, and so James is going to try to beckon us into this practical truth of the reality of our faith and how that is aimed to draw us into know Christ. Now, 
Have you ever woken up like just in a bad mood? Some of you, like, like I'm still trying to get out of how I woke up this morning. Some of you are like, okay. Um, so I, I wonder if James was kind of uh, just in a bad mood when he wrote this passage, um, because he kind of comes in and it's just super negative and super discouraging. And he's like, you know, don't you dare become a teacher because you're, you're just going to potentially ruin yourself. And um, you're really going to screw it up when it comes to your tongue. Um, in fact, uh, really, it's impossible to control. So why should we try? Like, it's like trying to control a, thou- a couple thousand pound animal, trying to navigate a you know, 20,000 ton ship. It's like trying to control a forest fire. Like, your tongue is awful. It's poisonous. It's wicked. like, man, James, like, could we have taken a little bit different approach to that? Like, is, is he just in a bad mood, or is there an aspect where he's speaking some truth about the reality of our words and the reality of our tongue? Um, he, he argues that it's the greatest evidence of our hypocrisy, our tongue. It's the greatest evidence of our hypocrisy. Um, let, let, me, let me use this example. Um, what would happen if we took all of your words that you said in the past month, like we had a mic on you, took all the words you said in the past month, and we posted it to our podcast, so we had like Kyle Lackey, Al Fuller, Katie Jost, and we just like, you go, I want to hear the last words of Haley or Dave. Like, I don't care who you are in the room, it would be humiliating, Right? It would. For all, like for me. Like it'd be humiliating. Be humiliating for us. And James is revealing um, that aspect that in our words, he even says, you heard Kelly read it, um, that anyone who's able to control their tongue is a perfect person. And what he's arguing for is there's no perfect people. And the truth is that you're going to blow it when it comes to what you say. You're going to. But the hope is that that's a, a revelation of your heart and my heart to run to a God who says, I rescue you. I want to rescue you. That's the amazing news. And so we see that our tongue is a gift from God. Like, that's what I want you to see, first and foremost. And then we're going to look at these four pictures, is that our tongue is a gift from God. Look at verse 7. Even all the negativity here, I want, you to he- I want you to hear this, that our tongue is a gift from God. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What's he saying? That the fruit in our lives reveals the root of our heart. Okay, okay, picture this. Or maybe you don't have to picture this. Maybe you've experienced this. Um, Have you ever just internalized something? For a long time, you just bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up. Like, I'm not talking about it. You just internalize it. And then kind of out of nowhere, 
It just comes out. You ever have, anybody ever had that happen? Okay, just me. Um, or, and, and, or if you're like the recipient of that, it just coming out, it's like, I just asked you what you wanted for dinner, <laughs> and you lost it. <laughs> it's such an innocent question, right? What, what does that type of situation reveal? There's something deeper going on. There's something deeper going on. You look at behavior and reaction that's excessive. Behavior issues with adults, with kids. Listen, you can always trace it back to a history of something that's gone on. Or something that's going on. What does it reveal? It reveals there's something going on in our hearts. That the fruit is traced back to the root and where the issue is, and it beckons us into the truth of believing that God desires to save us. And so here's the, here's the incredible thing about our words is they're like a flag, right? And so when we say something incredibly stupid, like in that moment, like, just ask you what you wanted for dinner, like, what is going, like, it's somebody waving a flag saying, I have a problem and I need you to speak hope into that problem. Now the question is, is do we do that or do we just like, you know, react in a negative way. But we'll look at some examples of that in just, in just a second. Um, uh, let's talk about the impact of our words. I just I shared a second ago about my confession. Our words have, have this type of impact. And so I want to look at these four pictures. There's a lot, of, a lot more than four in this passage. But I want to draw out four pictures and, and ask God to help us feel the weight of our words and the impact that they can make. Or let me put it this way, the impact that the lack of our words can also make. That what we don't say, okay, so here we go. Um, Let's read verse 3. The first picture is a horse. A horse. It says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Um, I I love, anybody ever been horseback riding? Uh, Anybody ever been horseback riding as a kid? Anybody was terrified as a kid, like, have a bad experience where you got, like, got thrown off the horse, or the horse, like, kicked you, or they're always like, don't walk in the back, don't walk behind the horse, because it's just like, they do the karate kick, um, knock you to the ground. Um, it's interesting, so, do you know horsepower? I didn't do a ton of study on horsepower, but, like, you know how many horsepower a horse has? It's not one. Surprise, surprise. It's actually 14. Isn't that crazy? So actually the, the measurement that's, that's being determined um, by horsepower, actually it's like foot-pounds per certain distance, okay? And a, a horse, based on what they're measuring, the average horse has like 14 of whatever that strength is to move it, okay? Now, I, you can you know, figure that out later because that's not really the... The point. The point is, is this idea the the power of a horse has. So, like this, some of them are a couple thousand pounds, um, fifteen hundred to two thousand pounds, and you put multiple together. Like you put one horse can carry can pull a thousand pounds, and you put two together, and it triples. Right? There's this unbelievable strength that's present. Let me just look at that picture. The like an animal would kill you. So think about that idea of our, the strength of our words. Like when you speak hope to someone, when you speak the hope of life 
and the hope that God offers to someone, it strengthens them. It strengthens them. And all it takes, like that bit that they put in the horse's mouth, there's tons and tons of sensory nerves in their mouth of nerve endings that are controlling that horse. Listen, our words can strengthen people. Our words, when we speak hope to people, they can build them up. But I also love the imagery that the horse gives of of just beauty. Of beauty. Like, we live in a culture that really wants to to really um, kind of idolize beauty, but I think oftentimes see the ugly, right? And so it's all about, here's the ugly, but we need to kind of mask that and make it look beautiful, um, in a hidden way, but what this passage is teaching us is the idea that our words can cultivate an environment for beauty to flourish. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about like physical beauty, um, although it could include that, but what I'm talking about is, is a beauty that's seen in a God that loves. A beauty that's seen in a God that loves, where with your words... I think about the settings that you're in, the environments that you're in, the person you're sitting next to, the person that you're not sitting next to, that you're around a lot. Do your words cultivate a beauty and a strength in the environments that you set, the tone that you set, the way you speak? It's why Proverbs talks about life and death are in the power of the tongue. Sometimes I, I feel like I can just say this one thing and it like it'll just be okay. I can just be cutting and it'll just be okay. But James would argue that there's a strength there that can either do good or bad. Um, but here's what's here's what what's really cool is in Revelation chapter 19. Did you know the image that's used to depict the return of Christ? is that Christ will be riding on a horse. Look at this passage, Revelation 19, 11. It says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and in True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Like every king rode on a stallion. Like there was an image of their strength and an image of their power. And here we see our king coming in on a white horse. You know, there's also several other horses, but one of the horses that's black is a depiction of what? Death. Death. This is the argument that, that James is trying to make with our words, that they can, they can cultivate an atmosphere of beauty and hope, or they can ruin. So um, I'm going to ask you several questions as we go here. The first one is this. You can probably be good to write these down and maybe think about these. When you speak, do your words breathe beauty and strength, cultivating an environment of flourishment? Think about that. When you speak, do the words that you say. Now, all of us on some level are going to say, well, no, not always. Right? But the probe hearts, do the words that you speak breathe, breathe life giving, beauty, strength, cultivating an environment to flourish? Where you can make people run. Not like, that sounded bad, like I'm out of here. Like flourish in their gifting and flourish in the design that God's given them. Love that image. Second one, look at verse four. It's a ship. This one's crazy. 
Verse 4, look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, uh, one of the ships that I found, you ever heard of the Marco Polo? Like, not like the pool game. But like, so this ship uh, is called Marco Polo. It is longer than, it's over four football fields long. Um, over four football fields long. Uh, go to that next image, Coop. Uh, it's five and a half times bigger than an Airbus A380, which is bigger than a seven, like a Boeing 747, like the double-decker plane. Like you could fit five of those planes inside this ship. Like look at the car. You can't even see it. Like this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, it's powered by an engine as powerful as a thousand cars. It's capable of transporting 16, 000, over 16,000 containers laid end in. And we're not talking about your little, your little Rubbermaids. Right? Okay, now, look in your Bible at, at, at back at the passage. It says, they are guided by a very small rudder. Okay, so you can see the rudder here. I didn't do the, figure out the measurements or whatever, which you get the point. You see the rudder in the back that controls that ship. Okay, but look what the verse says. It's controlled wherever the will of the pilot directs. That is an unbelievable lot of power. Okay, anybody ever driven a boat? Okay, one of the hardest things to do when you drive a boat is to drive up to the dock. Okay, like I've driven like a, you know... 20, 30-foot boat, maybe the longest I've ever driven. And driving up to the dock is like, and you're forward, and you're cutting it over, and then you're cutting it over, reverse, 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 and like you're spinning, the guy is at the gas, like, oh, go this way, and um, it's intense. Okay? Like, like that boat's smaller than like this section of chairs. And the argument James is making, like, imagine this guy who's, I don't know if it's multiple guys, a crew, lots of thousands of people driving this thing. It's probably one guy who really is controlling the rudder. And what James is saying is, think about what would happen if you got off course. Think about the destruction if that driver like missed the turn and went into the harbor. It would destroy. It would destroy. Wherever the will of the pilot goes. So what determines the will of the pilot? Where does the pilot know where he's going? I think oftentimes our words lack refreshment and lack good because the will of the pilot is the will of our own wicked hearts and not the will of a transformed heart being renewed by God. So James is trying to say, the more we press into Jesus, the more our speech will be transformed in such a way that, like, when this ship is operating, go to that next picture, Cooper. When this ship is operating the way God intended it for, for it to operate, it can do massive amounts of good. Massive amounts of good. Listen, with our words, we have the ability to usher in the hope giving, life-giving power of the kingdom of God. 
in a world where our words oftentimes just destroy and are self-serving and are about us getting our own perspective and our own desire and our own will. Man, I need God's help to show me that my words can have this kind of impact. They do. Not that they can, they do. The question is, what do we do with them? How do we use them? Here's a question for you to think about. What kind of pilot are you? How are you steering the rudder that is your tongue? Because your words have power. Like I think oftentimes we, just, we, we need to confess the like, poor stewardship of our power. The poor stewardship of that tongue, of that word. Maybe it's at home with the relationship that you have with your kids, with your spouse, with your roommate, with your parents. Maybe it's at work. Gosh, I think one of the, one of the greatest gifts that you have if you're a Christian is to go into the workplace and be the most optimistic, encouraging person you can be because the workplace is full of pessimism and people that are complaining and people that don't care and people that are just, it's just not good enough and I just don't get paid enough and I just have to work too hard. Which some of those things might be true, right? But gosh, what would it look like for to be a people that go into the workplace and speak hope? Try to change that culture. See what happens. Here's one I think is huge, is the ability to speak into our own soul. If you're like me and you wrestle with an aspect of self-hatred, your words and the way you speak to your own heart and the way you speak to the person in the mirror, because of the identity that you can and you do have in Jesus Christ that you're loved. You're a loved child of God, plain and simple. Created in his image. It's power. It's power. Third picture is a fire. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a, a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. My, my father... Uh, when he was in college, he used to man a fire lookout. And so for like, I don't know how, it was like nine months a year, he lived in a fire lookout that was up on a mountain, and the job in that fire lookout was for him to look out over the mountains and the land and look for fires. Because when a, when a forest fire starts, you better get to it quick because it's going. Okay, do you know that, um, you probably don't know this, I'm going to tell you, because um, most of you probably don't know like the mathematics of forest fires. I mean, um, but a forest fire can travel at a rate of 14 miles per hour. Now, if you got in your car and you drove 14 miles per hour, you'd be like, it's pretty slow. But for those of you that are runners, you know a nine-minute mile is you running 6.7 miles per hour. So if you were to run 14 miles per hour, you'd be running a 4.2-minute mile. Here's what I love about this picture, is what it teaches us about the contagious nature of our words. The contagious nature of our words. Have you ever, like, stoked a fire? Have you ever poked at a fire? The do it. Makes it hotter. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another with love and good works. Stir it up. To speak the message of, listen, you're loved 
and you're adopted by God, live in that. Listen, I know your situation is hard. God's not up in heaven, distant from that. He's entering into that, and he's in pain with you because he's wanting to do something in you. Like, it's these kind of words. Listen, that can be contagious. But you get around people that complain a lot and gripe a lot, what do you tend to do? See the negative. Tend to see the negative. But let's be people that breathe out a contagious reality of what it means to be victorious. That we're rescued people. That there's a God who isn't concerned in heaven about what's going on on earth as if he's out of control. Can I just speak that over us? He's in control. He's not shocked, quandering up with the Trinity like, what are we going to do here? Mm -mm. I believe on many levels there's aspects where he's grieving with you, where you're grieving, because that's who God is. I think the number one way that we can see the contagious nature of words is, is through encouragement and affirmation. Encouragement and affirmation. Um, one writer put it this way, when our mouths are empty of praise for others, it's probably because our hearts are full of love for self. Our hearts are full of love for self. And I just give you an assignment. Find someone to encourage today and affirm who God is in their life. Now, I, I'm, now that's not like, hey, okay, I'm going to make something up here because that's what I'm supposed to do. Like, find someone to genuinely encourage the work of God in their heart. I'm going to talk about something that's life-giving. A couple weeks ago, I had, had this guy come up to me, and he just spoke this truth into me, and it was unbelievably life-giving in such a way that I wanted to go, I was like, I want someone else to experience this. It's contagious. And gosh, how incredible would that be if that's the culture that we had and we pursued here? Here's your question. If your words started a fire, would they destroy all in their path, or would they fuel hearts to courageously trust Jesus. The last picture is the picture of poison. Poison. Now this sticker was all over my house as a kid. Probably had the number memorized as a kid. And it was a picture of like, don't touch this, it's going to kill you. I just thought it was a cool sticker. So I like, rip it off the bottle, I put it on my shirt. Oh, wait, that doesn't really work. Um, poison. Look at verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. When my daughter was two and a half, three, um, she got a hold of my father in law's high blood pressure medicine. And she uh, ate half of one. So uh, we called poison control, and they're like, you need to take her to the ER. So we took her to the ER, and, and they're trying to do these different things to get this stuff off her. And um, so they, like, pin her down, and they try to, like, get this charcoal in her. I was, like, out of town or gone, so I wasn't there during all this. I came later on, and I got there, and my daughter's black, like, just 
all over her. I was like, what happened? They had to like pin her down and get her to ingest this charcoal so they wouldn't absor- absorb the poison. The poison is for that age, that was size of a kid. Um, and so they would absorb, her, absorb into that charcoal and then pass through her. Here's what's crazy about it. She ended up being okay, if you're wondering. Um, here's the crazy thing about poison is that all it takes is a little bit, right? Like you get bit by a poisonous snake. Like there's not like a, this massive quantities of venom that are coming out of that thing. It's just a little bit. It'll kill you. It will kill you. The argument that James is making in this text is that our words will kill people. Kill them. Every person deserves the hope-giving, life-giving reality of words because they're created in the image of God. So find someone today and affirm them. Speak hope into them. Speak life into them. I thought this was pretty good and pretty funny. Um, my brother-in-law, a couple weeks ago, was talking about, we're talking about being created in the image of God, and he's like, doesn't that mean like we're God's selfie? <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess, I guess so. I guess so. We're God's selfie. Who can you affirm today? Part of the reason we need to be affirmed is because we're sinful human beings. We're sinful human beings who also need to be corrected. Okay? Who also need to be corrected. So, so think about this. Think about your pra- you praise people and you encourage people. It's like, a, it's like a bank account. Okay, Picture this image. Praise is deposits and correction is withdrawals. Some of you in your relationships, you're spending more money than you have. Think about that. Because correction weighs more than affirmation and praise. And I think a lot of times in our, even in our attempts to speak the gospel to one another, even in our attempts to speak the gospel to the world, where we start is correction. You go do a study on on, first, on John 8, where Jesus approaches a woman caught in adultery, and you see how he uses his words or doesn't use his words. You see where he speaks and where he doesn't. Um, because when it comes to poison, there's really three examples. Correction is poison. A lot of times our, our correction is just poisonous. We just beat people up. You're just not good enough. The second thing is correction mixed with praise, which comes across like we have an agenda, right? So it's like, hey, man, you're doing such a good job. I just want to let you know, like, but, so what happens is if that's your approach and that's the culture you take, it's like anytime this person has something good to say about me, they're just going to, they're just setting me up to cut my legs off, which is why I think that the gospel beckons us, yes, to correction, but the gospel beckons us to speak words of praise and words of affirmation where they're truthful and where they're full out of the identity that we have in Christ that are apart from correction. And here's what I mean by that, is that there's no agenda. Like, I want to tell you how good you are so then I can show you how bad you are and you don't feel like I hate you. But that, gosh, you're just loved. And yeah, there's aspects of our lives that aren't good and we need to work on and we need to be people that speak better and love better. But the hope of the gospel, God didn't start with, you're awful. 
started by laying down his life, showing us we're loved. Where do you need to confess your sinful, poisonous speech? Pray about that this week. Where do you need to confess your sinful, poisonous speak, speech? Because here's what I want to tell you is you can't stockpile freshness. Right? Wouldn't it be awesome if like, when you're born you could brush your teeth and you were set for the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be great? It's like brushing. It's so annoying. It's like I got to go. Forgot to brush. Like, go brush your teeth. Your breath stinks. We got to go. Get in the car. Daddy, I brushed them when I was born. You can't stockpile freshness. So what does that mean? We need to be renewed. We need our hearts renewed by the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus so that our words spew hope and life and not death. So that's the question I would ask you is how are you restoring your words by refreshing your heart in the Lord? Listen, that's the hope on some levels of you, of us gathering here together is that our hearts would be restored in the Lord so that we'd be a people that are sent into one another's lives and sent into the world to speak the hope of who Jesus is into our own souls and into the souls of one another. So let's pray that God would do that. Let's pray that God would enable us as we respond to feel the weight of our words, feel the weight of our tongues and the things that we say. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would, you would enable us to feel the weight of our words. God, oftentimes we're a people that have a lot to say about what's wrong. And God, I thank you that you You're a God who, by your words, you created beauty and you created life. And would you enable us to be a people that, by our words, we'd create beauty and we'd create life and it would be contagious. God, I want to be someone who is more encouraging. God, I want to be someone who affirms the good in others. More than, more than seeing the bad in others. God, thank you for your love. Would you lead us by your Spirit to respond to you? God, thanks for who you are. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.